0: Take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you dry it, you roll it, you smoke
1: it, and it. it goes down smooth, hey! Spanning the continent to bring you the truth about cannabis and marijuana law reform.
0: I smoke pot and I like it a lot.
1: CannabisRadio.com presents the Russ Bellville Show, the voice of the marijuana nation.
2: Here's your host, Radical Russ Melville. Good day, tokers and toquettes and non-toking lovers of liberty. It is Tuesday, August 2nd, 2016, and it's got to be 420 somewhere in the world. And it's got to be way past time for me to get a new laptop. Oh my goodness, so sorry for the stuttering sounds during the playback there. I've done everything I can. All of the virus scans and malware scans and spy bot scans and uninstalls and sinking paws and everything I can think of and uh, still getting this problem. So we will get ourselves a new laptop as soon as possible. That, of course, depends on money and money depends on time and time to work and all of that, so we'll get there, and thank you for your support in the meantime. Coming up on today's show, we are going to go in-depth on marijuana today, a very marijuana-laden show, and uh, we'll start things off with our cannabis radio news. In the headlines today, we get to go all the way out to Italy. We also take a look at changes happening in New Jersey and Alaska, Arkansas, Pennsylvania, and Ohio in our headlines today coming up right after this first break. Then we'll get into our Behind the Headlines segment where we're going to take a cannabis focus on the Commonwealth of Puerto Rico, one of our U.S. territories, which is kind of flown under the radar as far as their implementation of medical marijuana. We'll give you some of the details as reported in the Cannabis today. Also coming up, we've kind of got a two-parter on our drug war data mining. Uh, in our first segment, we're going to talk about How U.S. teens, more U.S. teens are smoking pot now than binge drinking and uh, why that is a good thing. And we'll take a look at the use of marijuana versus the use of alcohol across the country regional distinctions and how one may be affecting the other. Then after a break, we'll come back for an Across the Pond segment where we'll take that same data set and expand it to take a look at U.S. versus European teens when it comes to binge drinking and the use of marijuana. So very interesting stuff coming up, very data heavy in today's show. And then at the end of our first hour, I'm announcing the formation of a new law enforcement group. Of course, we're all... We're all very familiar with the Law Enforcement Against Prohibition, LEAP. We know about LEAP. These are the cops that uh, go around educating uh, the American citizens on the need to end the war on drugs. Well, I've come up with a new law enforcement group. I am calling them Pwned, Police Who Need Education on Drugs, PWNED. That'll be in the Radical Rant today where I tear apart some of their anti- Prop 64 campaign talking points that have been coming up from the uh, Sheriff's Association and the various law enforcers that are against Prop 64 legalization in California. Then we'll take things into hour two. I I told you yesterday about uh, Philippine President Rodrigo Duterte. Uh, I've got some updates on Duterte and what's going on in the Philippines in his mad, mad descent of Southeast Asia's oldest democracy. Then, uh, we'll have some time for a couple of other bonus rants, uh, that I've written up for various outlets. One that's on Huffington Post right now. And my radical rant for, uh, uh, High Times today, which is, uh, consider Attorney General Christie and Drugs are Sabet. Kind of a worst case scenario of what a Trump administration might bring the marijuana reform movement. And then we'll close out, uh, hour two with another piece I've written up on this 2016 election on the comparison of magical thinking between the true legalizers out there who always want to go against the incremental legalization plan and the true progressives out there that want to vote against Hillary Clinton because she's just not good enough. She's just evil. It's a lot of stuff coming up on today's Russ Belville show. Thanks for joining us. We're back right after this. This
1: is the Russ Bellville Show on CannabisRadio.com.
3: Earn your Ph.D. in THC monetization with CannabisRadio.com. Don't be late.
0: Most people who use don't have a problem. So I think that you need to think about
2: policy in that way while educating people properly about marijuana. I think that's the way to go.
3: Burning Issues, only on CannabisRadio.com.
1: This is Dan Michaels from DanMichaelsAudio.com, and you're listening to Radical Russ on CannabisRadio.com.
2: When you are starting up a medical cannabis business, you want a fired-up lawyer who understands the needs of cannabis consumers. The Law Office of Lauren Vasquez is your fired-up lawyer for the cannabis industry. Visit her website, fireduplawyer.com, or call 1-855-MMJ-LAWS for more information. That's 855-665-5297 for Lauren Vasquez, your fired-up lawyer, or email fireduplawyer at gmail.com.
1: It's time for the Cannabis Radio News. Covering the latest headlines in consumer cannabis, medical marijuana, and industrial hemp. Cannabis Radio News is now available exclusively at CannabisRadio.com. Now your marijuana headlines in 4 minutes and 20 seconds.
2: This is Cannabis Radio News. This is your Cannabis Radio News for Tuesday, August second, two 2016. Rome, Italy. After Monday's initial discussion of a bill to legalize marijuana in Italy, debate will continue in September, where the measure faces over 1,300 amendments filed by the opposition. The proposal, backed by Prime Minister Matteo Renzi's Democratic Party, would legalize personal possession of up to 5 grams of marijuana and home possession of 15 grams and cultivation of 5 plants. Collectives of up to 50 growers would be legal, but private sales forbidden. State licensed growers would supply a state run system of cannabis sales. Opponents of the measure include the Roman Catholic Church. Pope Francis has consistently opposed liberalization of drug laws, telling a reform conference in 2014 that, quote, attempts, however limited to legalize so called recreational drugs, are not only highly questionable from a legislative standpoint, but they fail to produce the desired effects, end quote. Deputy Maurizio Lupi, an opponent in Parliament who opposes the measure because it, quote, sends the message that anyone can freely smoke a spliff, end quote. Trenton, New Jersey, Republican Governor Chris Christie will decide whether New Jersey residents with post-traumatic stress disorder can be treated with medical marijuana after lawmakers approved a measure Monday. The state Senate on Monday approved the measure previously approved by the Assembly that allows marijuana to be used to treat PTSD if it's not treatable with conventional therapy. A growing number of states are weighing whether to legalize marijuana to treat post-traumatic stress disorder, but many veterans are increasingly using cannabis, even though it remains illegal in most states, and is unapproved by the Department of Veterans Affairs because major studies have yet to show it is effective against PTSD. Anchorage, Alaska. An outgoing official involved with the legalization process in Alaska says the state isn't, quote, really serious about making this happen, end quote. Bruce Schult was removed from the five-member Alaska Marijuana Control Board on Friday by Governor Bill Walker. Schult had previously served as the board's chair, but was demoted from that position earlier this year. Quote, There's an underlying agenda to subvert the process, says Schulte, to delay the implementation of a legalized marijuana industry. End quote. A spokesperson for the governor denied the allegations, saying instead that Schulte was terminated simply for performance reasons. Little Rock, Arkansas, Attorney General Leslie Rutledge has rejected a proposed constitutional amendment for the 2018 ballot that would legalize Arkansas marijuana in the state. The proposal by Mary Berry of Summit would allow for the cultivation, production, distribution, sale, possession, and use of the cannabis plants and all products taken from the plant, including marijuana. Rutledge wrote an opinion released Monday that the proposal is being rejected because of ambiguities in the text including whether or not a license is required, whether taxes are allowed, and whether a parent could provide medical marijuana to a minor child. Rutledge in April approved a similar ballot proposal by Barry for the November 2016 election. Rutledge spokesman Judd Deere said Monday's rejection does not affect the 2016 proposal. State College, Pennsylvania. The Borough Council in State College, home to the Penn State University, voted to treat personal marijuana possession as a civil violation, removing the threat of arrest and criminal records. The new rule passed in a 5-2 vote Monday. The rule treats possession of up to 30 grams of cannabis or 8 grams of hashish as a municipal summary offense. The fine for the marijuana infraction will be $250, with a $350 fine for public use. Logan, Ohio. Residents of the Ohio City of Logan, a small town of roughly 7,000 residents, an hour's drive southeast of Columbus, will vote on marijuana depenalization this fall. Officials with the Hawking County Board of Elections certified enough valid signatures from a group called Sensible Logan to place the measure before the voters. Last year, a similar ordinance lost with just 43 percent of the vote. Logan voters may repeal municipal codes criminalizing possession and cultivation of cannabis. The new law would treat possession of up to 200 grams as a minor misdemeanor and over that amount as a fifth-degree felony, but neither charge would carry fines or prison time. But those crimes would remain part of one's permanent record. This has been your Cannabis Radio News for Tuesday, August 2nd, 2016. I'm Russ Belville.
3: Forwarding the cause of legalization and research of the growing cannabis industry, one podcast at a time. The Cannabis Radio Network.
1: Normal stands for Responsible Adult Cannabis Use. If cannabis use is causing problems in your life, consider taking a break or seeking medical assistance. Consider ceasing cannabis use if you have a family history of mental illness. Don't drive or operate heavy machinery while impaired by cannabis use. Cannabis use is not without risks, even though the risks may be far less than those posed by legal drugs. You're not high. You're listening to the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com.
0: Your grapefruits
4: are no match for my Trump Towers.
1: Okay. Maybe
2: you're high, too. Get.buzz.buzz .buzz. is the internet platform that fuels community interest, excitement, and new experiences. .buzz is the premier online destination for internet users seeking the latest news on a variety of topics. .buzz appeals to groups active in blogging, communications, journalism, advertising, and marketing. .buzz offers registrants a stronger alternative to the shrinking namespace of existing top-level domain names, such as .com, .net, and .org. Get your name now at Get.buzz. The world of cannabis is evolving at a frenetic
1: pace. The Russ Belleville Show gets behind the headlines to take a deeper look at breaking news in our Cannabis Focus.
2: Today in the Cannabis Focus, we take a look at the Commonwealth of Puerto Rico, one of our five U.S. territories, and its progress on medical marijuana. There's a great piece in the Cannabis Today that discusses this. And uh, Puerto Rico has come along very quickly and much under the radar of most observers here in the marijuana reform movement. It was May of 2015 when the governor there uh, issued an executive order to legalize uh, medical use of cannabis. At the time, he said, quote, we're taking a significant step in the area of health that is fundamental to our development and quality of life. I am sure that many patients will receive appropriate treatment that will offer them new So it was May of 2015, an executive order that nobody was expecting. So throughout the rest of 2015, uh, they worked on putting together a regulatory framework. By January 2016, January of this year, those uh, rules got finalized. Uh, The officials made it a medical marijuana program where cannabis could be used in pill, cream, patch, and oral form. Uh, No smoking. Uh strict anti-smoking uh, no uh, herb, no bud. So Puerto Rico is moving ahead with the, the latest medical marijuana model, New York, Minnesota, Pennsylvania. You wanted your marijuana to be medical. Okay. We're going to make it medical. You don't smoke medicine. So people are getting exactly what they wanted. But anyway, they started this in January, 2016 by March. Just two months later, the governor in Puerto Rico was telling the uh, the territory they should move forward with regular recreational legalization. Uh, his, in his final public address, he said the legislature should move to legalize cannabis or at least approve a 2013 bill to decriminalize. Pretty amazing uh, how quickly this is moving ahead. The qualifying conditions under the Puerto Rican regulations, would be uh, cancer, HIV-AIDS, Crohn's, Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, Hep C, anxiety, PTSD, uh, among others. There's uh, inclusions in the law that uh, the dispensaries have to have a minimum of two security guards, uh, no smoking allowed, a system of seed-to-sale tracking uh, to prevent dispensary hopping. And, like some of the more recent uh, Laws like in New Jersey and Minnesota and so forth, uh, the doctors have to register. Uh, doctors, um, the dispensary can provide a 30-day supply to a patient, and doctors have to go uh, six-hour courses, undergo six-hour courses, and have applications to be able to uh, register to dispense or to recommend the medical cannabis. This is, of course, in the background of. The uh, the financial problems they're having, a big debt issue that they've got in Puerto Rico, just barely rescued from the brink of bankruptcy by our Senate recently. So there's a lot of desire for economic uh, assistance, and the medical marijuana industry there is something that they're looking at as something that help to help generate jobs, generate revenue in this economy, and. Tourism, believe it or not, because there is a reciprocity provision in the Puerto Rico medical marijuana regulations. That would mean anybody who's got a medical marijuana card in the United States in, from any one of the uh, now 25 states that have medical marijuana would be able to go to Puerto Rico. Now, understand that's not going to cover you for carrying flour since it's a non-smoking uh, uh, territory. They don't allow patients, there is no such thing as medical cannabis that you smoke. But at least if you're using tinctures or oils, anything like that, you'd be able to travel. You'd be able to go to Puerto Rico and be safe having your uh, medical cannabis card with that reciprocity. So the people on the island are expecting that this could be a sort of a uh, medical tourism option, an option for many of these patients who can't go to other uh Caribbean destinations to enjoy themselves because of the uncertainty of whether or not their medicine is going to be legal. Uh, Jamaica, I suppose, but (laughs) aside from that, uh, it could be quite difficult. So we're hoping that can help uh, the folks in Puerto Rico who've been struggling with such a a terrible economic burden recently, a $399 million debt payment uh, that they have missed. They've already uh, got $70 billion Worth of total debt that they're having to deal with. If medical cannabis can put any sort of dent in that uh, situation, all the better for the people of Puerto Rico. This will be uh, Puerto Rico and Guam and the Northern Mariana Islands. Uh, Mar- Mariana Islands are voting on uh, legalization. Guam already ha- or, uh, medical. Guam already has medical marijuana. We're still waiting to help out American Samoa and the U.S. Virgin Islands.
4: I'm so full of anticipation that my genitals are sucked up into my body cabin.
2: (laughs) Well, I'm happy to see you, too. It's 4.20 in Denver, Colorado. Time for us to take our mandated safety briefing. I hope you're feeling safe out there. I'm feeling pretty safe. When we come back, we'll have some drug war data mining on U.S. teens and binge drinking versus pot smoking.
1: next to THC and CBD you can now add CBR to your cannabis vernacular CBR as in CannabisRadio.com
3: Play as Ted Growing expelled botany sophomore and the biggest grower in town only on Weed Firm Replanted available on the App Store and Google Play
0: It's a lot of work being the biggest grower in town
2: Welcome to Cannabis Confidential. I'm your host,
3: Dr. Dina. We've got David Faustino on the line, Bud Bundy from Married with Children. Did you feel nervous being a celebrity walking into a weed store?
1: I don't
0: remember at all being like, ooh, I'm scared. someone's going to take my picture here. What
3: are they going
1: to say? Bud Bundy
4: smokes Bud? I mean, come on.
0: (laughs) (laughs) It wouldn't be a big shocker. Hey, this is David Faustino, and I'm on Cannabis Confidential with my girl, Dr. Dina, on CannabisRadio.com.
1: The Russ Belleville Show reminds you to never smoke and drive impaired.
2: Hang out for a while and share. Don't want to spend money on a night out, but don't know what to do other than watching TV or playing video games? Consider playing guitar, bass, banjo, or mandolin. The instrument will give you hours of entertainment with friends with minimal expense. Stop by the Fingerboard Extension downtown Corvallis at 120 Northwest 2nd Street today or check out its inventory on the web at fingerboardextension.com. Welcome back, everybody. Today in the data mines, we take a look at some information that is posted today by a website called projectknow.com, that's K-N-O-W, Project No, on high school student substance abuse, United States and Europe. And a lot of this is coming from uh, data that we find in the uh, National Survey on Drug Use and Health, and the big headline coming across the media today is that more Students in the United States, more young people, age 12 to 17, are using marijuana than are binge drinking. Now, binge drinking is defined in the federal surveys as, for males, having five or more drinks, standard drink size being a 12-ounce beer, five-ounce glass of wine, or a one-ounce shot, having five or more drinks at one sitting. For females, four or more drinks at one sitting. So for the first time, they've, they've been surveying this. and They've been doing so for, you know, going on 40 years now. They're finding that more kids would rather smoke pot than binge drink. And as far as I'm concerned, this is great news. Binge drinking can kill you. Binge drinking leads to teenagers making all sorts of terrible decisions, unplanned pregnancies, car wrecks, whatever else you might want to throw at me here pot smoking among the teenagers is not going to have that detrimental effect. This is not to say that anyone's encouraging young people to smoke pot. All it is saying is that if they're going to be using a substance, wouldn't we all be better off if it was the safer one? So some of the numbers in here, uh, they find that 7% of youth aged 12 to 13 took an illegal drug in the past year. Wow, 7% of 12- and 13-year-olds. 5.6% reported drinking alcohol. So they compared some of this data, and what they found is they they made this great map of where marijuana is more popular than binge drinking. And interestingly enough, now you, you wouldn't be surprised to find that marijuana is more popular in the West and the Southwest. You know, uh, Washington, Oregon, California, uh, Arizona, these states that are going to be voting on legalization, Alaska, Hawaii, Western states. And you wouldn't be surprised to find a lot of the northeastern states in there, the New England states, Maine, Vermont, New Hampshire, Massachusetts, Rhode Island, Connecticut, New York. But interestingly enough... In addition to the Great Lakes states, most of them, aside from Wisconsin, which, of course, is a huge drinking state, but all the rest, Minnesota and uh, Michigan, Ohio, Indiana, Illinois, marijuana is more popular. Again, not too surprising because there we also see a smattering of the medical marijuana states. In other words, mostly where marijuana is more popular than binge drinking is also where medical marijuana or legalization has happened with one big surprise. The South, almost all of the South. We're talking the whole Eastern uh, South, you know, uh, starting from D.C., Delaware, Maryland, Virginia, North and South Carolina, uh, Georgia, Florida, Tennessee and Mississippi. Alabama is kind of an outlier here. All those southern states have more marijuana use than they have binge drinking. So that's quite interesting because, you know, we've, of course, the the South, the hardest place to break through when it comes to our marijuana reforms. Now, they compared this also. They found, they they put together a map of where binge drinking is happening. This is monthly binge drinking rates and where they're most and least popular. And they did the same for marijuana use, monthly marijuana use rates. And they managed to make one for the monthly uh, cocaine use and monthly illicit prescription drug use, your oxys and stuff like that. And one thing stands out really quickly, really clear, is that if we really want to create an American policy that leads to far, far less use of drugs and alcohol, then we shouldn't be legalizing weed, medicalizing weed, or prohibiting weed. We should convert to Mormonism. (laughs) Because when you look at all these maps, Utah stands way out compared to all all the rest of the states. Looking at the binge drinking rates, when you look at the binge drinking rates for the states, and I'm looking at states around Utah, 18%, 19%, California, 14%, 13% here and there, 14% in Nebraska, the lowest rates you find, 13% in Georgia, 15% in in, in South North Carolina, 14% in Maine. That's as low as you find their binge drinking rates, 14, 13, 14, 15%. And then you get to Utah where it's 6%. 6%. Wow. Same thing goes for the marijuana use. When you look around the states, and this is by high school students, and you look around, most of them you're finding you know, the lowest rates you find 15%, 16%, 12% in Nebraska, 11% in Iowa are some of the lower rates. Utah? Eight percent. Eight percent. So they've got these maps color coded. Right. And so the darker blue is the more binge drinking and the darker green is the more pot smoking. And so Utah is almost white <laughs> on both of these maps. And it continues when you look at the other uh, uh, ratings for the other drugs. In the case of cocaine use, Utah comes in second at four percent. Nebraska was lowest at three. And when it comes to illicit prescription drug use, Utah came in second. Um, uh, Missouri was lowest at 8%. Utah was like at 9%. So folks, if you want to uh, (laughs) to reduce the use of drugs by kids across the country, it's time to break out the Book of Mormon, (laughs) I guess. When we come back, we're going to go across the pond and take a look at these same sorts of numbers. With respect to Europe, see how things are different or the same.
1: This is the Russ Bellville Show on CannabisRadio.com.
3: Keep your cannabis cravings under control.
1: You can find Radical Russ online everywhere. Gmail, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Pinterest, YouTube, SoundCloud, Snapchat, LinkedIn, and Boise State University's 2400 Bod modem bulletin board system from 1985.
2: Coming soon to a city near you, Cannabis Finance Boot Camp. Get all your cannabis accounting, legal, and compliance questions answered by their knowledgeable panel of industry experts who want to help your cannabis business boom. Whether you're a grower, dispensary operator, or a newcomer to the field, your cannabis business needs Cannabis Finance Boot Camp. For information on upcoming events, visit CannabisFinanceBootCamp.com. One of America's leading exports over the past 50 years has been the global war on drugs. Through U.N. treaties, we have bent the world to accept our marijuana prohibition. Learn how our allies in Europe are fighting for their freedom as we go across the pond. Welcome back, everybody. 32 after the hour. And we continue some of the data we were looking at from the Project No website. That's K-N-O-W, projectno.com where they have some informative graphics up with regard to teenage marijuana and alcohol use, particularly binge drinking. And we discovered that finally in America, for the first time ever, more teenagers are smoking marijuana than binge drinking, defined as five or more drinks at one sitting. This uh, these rates of binge drinking versus marijuana use. Uh, the marijuana use seems to be more popular in the places that have passed marijuana legalization and medical marijuana: the West Coast and Southwest, the Great Lakes region, the Northeast. But also, marijuana is more popular in the South. Kind of surprising, uh, leaving mostly the uh, Intermountain West and the uh, Great Plains states as states where more people more teenagers are binge drinking than using marijuana. Then in comparing the rates of drug and alcohol use by the teenagers across the United States, we find that the state of Utah uh, is the lowest uh, in rates of binge drinking and marijuana use, far lower than the the number two uh, finishers, and second place in cocaine use, and third place in prescription drug use as far as how few of their people use it. The states that have the highest abuse rates when it comes to binge drinking would be uh, West Virginia at 24.4%. Nearly one in four high school students are binge drinking monthly in the state of West Virginia. When it comes to marijuana, the state leading the nation is New Mexico with 27.8% of their high school students followed by Washington state at 26.7. Cocaine is most popular among the high school students in New Mexico, again, 10.3%. And prescription drugs are most abused by high school students in Arkansas at 21.5%. Now, it's interesting to compare this with our uh, fellow countries in Europe. The countries in Europe, when you look at the map for the binge drinking rates among high school students over the past 30 days... 27% is the number for the entire country, for the United States, 27%, more than one in four high school students is binge drinking at least once in the past month. There is only one country in Europe with a lower rate of binge drinking than the United States, and that would be Iceland at 17%. After that, every other country in Europe has far more high school drinking than. In the United States, the Scandinavian countries range from thirty-five percent to forty-eight percent. We get to uh, the UK, uh, Europe, uh, UK, France, Germany; those areas all in the seventies, seventy percent of high school students drinking. Even when you get to Austria, the top number in the uh, the top rate in the Europe in Europe there, eighty percent, four out of five high school students in Austria are binge drinking. Now, a lot of this owes to the fact that there's far, a far different set of drinking laws in Europe. In almost all of Europe, the drinking age is 18 years old. And at 18 years old, many people uh, might still be in the last year of high school. It also makes it more likely that a younger brother or sister has an older brother or sister that can acquire alcohol for them. In Germany and surrounding countries, including Austria, where it's the 80% binge drinking rate, the drinking age is 16 if you want beer and wine. It's 18 if you want hard alcohol, what they call spirits. So it's not so surprising that United States, with a uniform drinking age of 21, has a 27% binge drinking rate among high school students where Europe with an almost uniform drinking age of 18 at, at the greatest it's 16 in some places like Portugal uh, and absolutely 16 in, in tiny uh, Luxembourg, uh, 16 years old, even for hard alcohol. So it's no surprise that with those low of uh, that low of a drinking age across Europe, we're going to see far greater monthly binge drinking By these teenagers. But there's an interesting wrinkle in this data. And that is when you look at American drinking, the effects of American drinking versus the effect of European drinking, you find that Americans age 15 and up only drink three quarters as much alcohol as Europeans. So you add up, you know, this is not just teenagers now, we're talking about all the way up into adulthood. In America, we only drink 75% as much alcohol as Europeans do. They far outdrink us. But in America, we're far more likely to be involved in alcohol-related accidents and other alcohol-related causes. Now, there's a few theories as to why this or hypotheses as to why this is. One, the hypothesis that the lower drinking age in Europe leads to teens, young people, drinking earlier and learning better responsibility when it comes to their use. Whereas we make them wait till 21. And so for that whole age range from 16 to 21 for five years, they're engaged in irresponsible drinking. That's unsupervised. That's one theory. Another consideration is Europeans having much more in the way of public transportation options and having far lower blood alcohol limits for their impaired driving. So it's an interesting bit of data to look at to compare the American and the European uh, uh, data with respect to drinking in that they drink far younger, far more often, and far more volume of alcohol, yet have less public damage from that, less public cost from that. In looking at the marijuana information, comparing uh, Europe and the United States, it's also interesting to note that the United States as a country has a 20% average for the, uh, the use of marijuana on a monthly basis by high school students. One out of five high school students is using marijuana on a monthly basis. There's only a couple of countries that reach that level in Europe, and that would be Spain at 20% and France at 24%. For the rest of Europe, 15% is about as high as it gets, and most of them are sitting around the 10%, 12% range. You get up into the Scandinavian countries, it's 2 and 3%. Go over to Iceland, it's 4%. So we find marijuana is much more popular in the United States and much more accessible. When we look at the accessibility, the United States leads the world. They've been asking high school students across the world how easy it is to access marijuana. And the percentage that report that marijuana is fairly easy or very easy to maintain, to obtain comes at 68%. Now, that's all high school students. Right When you ask that of high school seniors, it hovers around 80%. But for all high school students, it's about 68% in the United States. The next highest level for easy or fairly easy is the Czech Republic at 59%. And then most of these European countries are sitting between 25 and 50% as far as their young people, their high school students, saying it's easy or fairly easy to acquire marijuana. All of this information is available on com. That's ProjectKnow.com. Look for their high school drug use infographics. We've also got some great uh, links in their sources as well if you wish to do some further investigation.
1: This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. From dabs to chivas, sativas to indicas, we roll out a whole concentrate of fresh new content every week. It's like going from the greenhouse to the dispensary. CannabisRadio.com.
3: The Canada business industry is growing. Business is booming. And as new opportunities arise in newly legalized states, each market is getting more competitive. Call Canna Management Corporation and let our team get you ready to grow. 415-269-8015. That's 415-269-8015. Or visit canna-management.com. Tommy Chong is ready to cut through the smoke and change
0: the tone of Tilt Radio. You know, During Dance with the Stars, I started feeling discomfort. Yeah and not only that I was doing these old man smells and it was kind of embarrassing because you know the, all the Dancing with the Stars crew, cast and crew you know they were all young kids yeah, you know and then all of a sudden this old guy would come along and do one of those silent farts you know that you don't know you're doing it yeah, and all of a sudden you smell and everybody go what the hell smells and you know and you knew it was me and, and so I'd scurry off to the bathroom you know and that's when I knew that there was something wrong. The Tommy
3: Chung Podcast only on Radio.com. Welcome to
1: my world. World, world, world. This is the Russ Belleville Show. Annoying Kevin Sabat
2: since 2012.
4: I experimented with marijuana a time or two, and I didn't like it, and didn't inhale. One major responsibility is to encourage people to use less drugs. Entirely
2: legitimate topic uh,
3: for debate. Radical Rant.
2: Today at the rant, I want to talk about California's Proposition 64, the Adult Use of Marijuana Act. It's a couple of stories out that discuss the funding, both for and against the measure. Yesterday, we told you of SAM Action, the, uh, the political action committee arm of Project SAM. That's Kevin Sabet's anti-legalization group. Well, SAM Action says that they've raised as much as $2 million to pour into defeating legalization and medical reforms in the various states that are attempting them. This is also followed by a look at the California Secretary of State's office and the money that has come in so far for and against the initiative. Now, the support of the initiative, <laughs> the support of the initiative has already raised over six point five million dollars, primarily from Sean Parker, the founder of Napster, the Facebook first president, who put in two point two seven million. Drug policy action, DPA's pack, which put in one point seven five million. New approach pack, which is Peter Lewis's uh, legacy, one point five million. Weed maps from uh, you know Justin Hartfield and Weed Maps seven hundred and fifty thousand dollars, and two hundred and fifty thousand dollars from Nicholas Pritzker, one of the Hyatt Hotel heirs. So $6.5 raised for Prop 64. Now, as far as the money raised against Prop 64, they've got what they call the Coalition for Responsible Drug Policies. That's the name of the group. And they have raised almost $160,000 <laughs> against $6.5 million. Their sources are $64,150 from SAM Action, again, Kevin Sabet's group, from the Teamsters Union in California. Now, that's an interesting donation, the Teamsters, being against legalized marijuana. We'll have to investigate why that might be. And then $10,000 each from the California State Sheriff's Association, the Association for the Los Angeles Deputy Sheriff's State PAC, and the Los Angeles County Professional Peace Officers Association. So $30,000 from three different police outfits. And again, we don't know how much more Sam Action might be donating. Uh, $64,000 so far, but they supposedly have $2 million. The question would be, is Project Sam going to dump a whole bunch of that spending money in California where they're almost certain to lose, where there's already you know 60% in the polls? Or are they going to use that to help try to tip elections in Massachusetts and Arizona where the polling is much more dire? for legalization, or Maine, where they might be able to swing more votes. It remains to be seen how they're going to spread that money out. I don't think all $2 million of it is going to go to California by any stretch of the imagination. But there's this great piece in the LA Times about this and how law enforcement is lining up against Proposition 64. And it's hilarious to me because reading down the list of excuses is almost like a guidebook Of all the the typical standard bullet point bumper sticker talking points that you hear from prohibitionists all the time. So I figured I'd run through them. Quick rebuttal to all of these cops in something that I like to call pwned police who need education on drugs. P-W-N-E-D. If you don't know what pwned means, look up P-W-N-E-D on the internet. Anyway... The first one, a standard smoth. We open up this piece with a standard smoth, the stone mayhem on the freeways argument. George Hofstetter, the president for the Association of Los Angeles Deputy Sheriffs, one of those $10,000 donors, said, quote, You hear people say it's not as bad as alcohol, but if you smoke marijuana and drive, it does impair you. I hope we can get the word out there, but there's a lot of support for it right now, end quote. So we're going to have some stone mayhem on the freeways if California legalizes, huh? But right now, when California has medical marijuana that anybody who wants to get it can get it, and dispensaries all up and down the state for the past 20 years, and yet California's fatality rate per 100 million miles driven has steadily declined over that entire time, Why do you think marijuana legalization is going to change that dynamic any? Why do you think removing the need to get a permission slip from a doctor is suddenly going to make all these people start smoking and driving if they weren't already? And what do you find in Colorado, Washington, or the other states that have legalized that lead you to believe there's going to be that much more carnage on the roads? These statistics about catching more stone drivers don't wash. Just because you caught two fish on the river on Tuesday and you caught 20 fish in the river on Wednesday doesn't mean there's more fish in the river on Wednesday. It just means that you tried harder to catch them. And that's what's happening in Colorado and Washington right now. The next attempt to defend the cops spending money to defeat legalization was the Sabbath conjecture. They got a quote here from a lady named Hutchins. She's the uh, Orange County Sheriff who doubts that new tax revenue will offset the cost of potentially having more drivers under the influence of marijuana and more people in addiction treatment. So this is the old Sabbath conjecture that says, oh, well, for every $1 in tax we take in from alcohol and tobacco, they cost 10 times that much in drunk driving and lung cancer and all the other costs. This would be scary if it were 2011, Sheriff Hutchins, but you can actually look at how much tax money has been raised in Colorado and Washington, and it's over $200 million at this point. Now, if you can point out $200 million offsets in drivers under the influence and people in addiction treatment, I'd like to see it, because even Kevin Sabet Kevin hasn't come out with that yet. The third point they try to foist on us is the drugs are bad, okay? That Sheriff Hutchins said she doesn't think the financial benefits are a proper basis for assessing the merits of legalization, saying, quote, Even if they were making money hand over fist, to me, it's not good enough reason to legalize marijuana. Is the next thing we decide to legalize going to be methamphetamine or cocaine so that we can tax and regulate it? End quote. So this is the idea that that just the drug itself is evil and bad. Ignoring any other uh, exigent circumstances, just the fact that a drug is bad. Even if we made money at it, so she she undercuts her previous point of doubting whether the tax revenue would actually ma- match you know uh the cost, saying that even if the tax revenue does offset the costs, it's a bad thing <laughs> well. Why should we legalize marijuana? What's next, meth or coke? Well, let's look at meth and coke. Would it be better to legalize them than to leave them in the hands of criminals that don't care about uh, addiction, health, or dirty needles or any or uh, impure substances? It's something we can talk about. The fourth point she makes, or fourth point made, uh, John Lovell, uh, longtime lobbyist for uh, Riverside Sheriff's Association, says, "Quote." What is incredible about this provision is that it says, we don't care if you're a cocaine dealer or a heroin dealer, you can't be denied a license because of that, end quote. This is the drugs equal crime argument. The fact that somebody was involved with drugs when they were illegal means they're a criminal. They are personally a criminal. It is a part of who they are. And if we create a new licensing scheme for them to do something legally, we can't have them be a part of it because at one point they were a criminal. What they're referring to is in Prop 64, you can't deny someone a license if they had a previous uh, controlled substance uh, violation. And it's largely for the guys that are the dispensary owners who got previously busted for felony cultivation or something like that, trafficking, can still get their licenses. It's not meant to enrich the guy previously busted as a cocaine dealer. But if someone had been busted as a cocaine dealer and they've served their time and they're out of jail and they're not on probation or anything like that, and they're eligible to get a license, why wouldn't we want them to? Why wouldn't we want to take them out of being in an illegal market and being now a legal contributing member of society? Let's see here. The fifth argument we get here, or is it the sixth? One, two, three, four, five. Fifth argument is the one I like to call paint it black in reference to the Rolling Stones tune. Uh, Sheriff Hutchins said she's been following the news out of Colorado since the state became the first to allow recreational marijuana sales two years ago. She noted the state still has a significant black market and there's no reason to expect California's entrenched underground market also wouldn't persist. What kind of rationale is this? Well, since we can't eliminate the black market 100%, Let's let it all be 100%. Let's keep it 100% black market. After we legalize, 10% of it may still be the black market. That's not good enough. So let's still let it be 100% black market. I I just, I've never understood that rationale. Why, Why would you not want to be, if the black market's the bad thing and legalization reduces that, why is that not a good thing? And, of course, after these five arguments, stone mayhem on the freeways, the Sabbath conjecture, drugs are bad, mkay, drugs equal crime, and paint it black, you know we'd have to wind things up with, the, with the, the old classic, what about the children? For God's sake, won't you people think of the children? What the hell kind of monsters are you thinking about legalizing marijuana had you not considered the children? The quote in the piece says, both sides argue that their biggest concern is keeping young people away from marijuana. Quote, I don't think we need one more thing to dumb down our young people and impact their motivation to do well in life, said Sheriff Hutchins from Orange County. (laughs) Yes, the old amotivational syndrome argument and the IQ loss argument, the idea that, oh, my God, if the kids are smoking pot. It's going to impact their motivation. They're not going to do well in school. They're going to drop out. They're going to be losers. Despite us just talking about the previous segment, how 27% of high school students are smoking pot at least once a month. What we are seeing here is the last desperate gasps of law enforcement, prohibitionist dinosaurs working their way down, who will eventually find themselves on the ash heaps of history. They're sinking into the tar pits of irrelevance. And these are the final arguments they have. This is all they've got left in their arsenal against what is now 10 straight national polls showing majority support nationwide for marijuana legalization. I'll have that piece written up for... Marijuana politics later tonight. Police who need education on drugs. Pwned. P-W-N-E-D. And for now, that's all the time we got in Hour 1, our all-marijuana hour. Stay tuned for Hour 2. Toker Talk Radio is coming up next, where we get a little more political. Although today, I've got more marijuana stories to tell you about in Hour 2 as well. We got an update on that uh, Philippine President Duterte who is killing Southeast Asia's oldest democracy. We've also got my thoughts on what a Trump presidency would mean for marijuana legalization. Consider Attorney General Chris Christie and drug czar Kevin Sabet. And we'll wind things up with another look at how true progressives and true legalizers share the same magical thinking. For everyone here at Cannabis Radio, I'm Radical Russ. Thanks for joining us, and until next time, take care of each other, tokers.
1: This is the Russ Belleville Show. The Russ Belleville Show is blogging and podcasting daily at RadicalRuss.com
4: you grow it, you're you're rolling, you're smoking. You take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you giant it, you roll it, you smoke it. You take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you giant it, it you roll it, you smoke it, and it goes down smooth.
0: Get
1: Plus your calls, live at 971-533-7111. They're walking on their pants with their cap on
3: backwards, listening to the animal man and Snoopy, Snoopy poop dog.
1: What's
4: to keep somebody from getting all potted up on weed and then getting behind the wheel? Gateway theory doesn't work. It's a reality. How um, long is it real?
2: Alright, alright, alright. Welcome back, tokers and token. It's four o'clock here in the Pacific Time Zone. I'm Radical Russ, and it's time for Toker Talk Radio, where Tokers get together and talk about whatever it is we want to talk about. It might be sports, it might be politics, it might be culture. And it'll always have something to do with weed. At least, at least tangentially. <laughs> So over these past uh, couple of weeks, I've gotten hyper-political, ultra-hyper-uber-political, hearkening back to my days uh, in the last part of the George W. Bush administration when I had a political talk radio show on XM Satellite. Got to speak with Peter Ogburn, who was the engineer out there in Washington, D.C., when I started my talk radio career, and it just got me—it put me back into that flow, man, that, that exciting feeling of discussing politics uh, on the radio. And so over the past couple of weeks, I've been talking and talking and talking about Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump and the election and what's going on. And some of you gotten sick of it, I know. Some of you are kind of upset at me changing my Bernie or bus stand, and I understand that. And we're going to keep talking about that, but maybe not so much today, because today, <laughs> today I kind of had an epiphany. Well, for one, I started reading some of the polling that's uh, coming out lately, that shows Hillary Clinton going back up against Donald Trump, that he's starting to kind of crater. And part of that has been, and of the most unlikely of sources, one of the things that was amazing about the Democratic convention that last week is how the Democrats became the party of patriotism and the military and flag-waving and America-humping. I mean, it was all red, white, and blue and USA, 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 and it culminated in that fantastic address by Kazir Khan, the father of the, uh, the, the U S captain military captain who uh, died in Afghanistan. And, and you know, I can disagree with the war itself and why we're in there and that we shouldn't be and what we've done wrong. But I, I, I never short the people that are fighting in the war that just sign up to, to serve our country. And so this, that speech by Khan, you know, captured America's hearts and just, it was amazing. and, in his response to it, Donald Trump could have gone the route of talking about it's a bad war. We shouldn't have been in that war. But he didn't. He went right to the personal attack on the guy's wife for be, you know being a Muslim woman and maybe she's not allowed to talk. And for the past five days, this story has just eaten up the news cycle because every time he tries to respond to it, he digs deeper. He gets worse and worse and worse starts talk, now stuff talking about oh he's a guy for the muslim brotherhood blah, blah blah it's just terrible and so that's why i'm feeling a little less hyper uber political today a little less riled up cuz i kind of had the epiphany that we're still about 92 97 days away from the election we're still 4 months out and donald trump has to talk <laughs> and you know make appearances throughout that whole time and appear in three debates. And I think over that time, when there's no other distractions of Donald Trump playing in the reality show contest against the other members of the GOP clown car, where there's you know 11 of them on stage and it's all just who can insult who the best, when it gets down to just him and her on the debate stage, and again, that's assuming Gary Johnson doesn't make the debate stage. But if it comes down to just the two of them on the debate stage and people have to make an honest side-to-side comparison, it's only going to get worse and worse for Donald Trump. I think he's got a ceiling of about 40% of the vote he can get. And it can drop a whole lot from now till then. Hell, the big story today is how he kicked a baby out of his political rally. He's not kissing baby, he's kicking him out. <laughs> all right, well, we come back. More on Duterte in the Philippines.
1: This is the Russ Bellville Show on CannabisRadio.com.
3: Legal to listen to all over the world. We're just not sure about Uh
0: France.
3: Cannabisradio.com more flavor.
0: Duck Rob
4: is preventable.
0: The Concierge for Better Living with Doc Rob. Only on cannabisradio.com.
1: You're not high. You're listening to the Russ Belleville Show on cannabisradio.com.
2: We need to build a wall.
1: Okay, maybe you're high
2: too.
1: Warning, hits taken on this show are larger than they appear. Do not try this at all. These people are professionals. Or at least they pay me to say that. This is the Russ Bellville Show on CannabisRadio.com.
2: Welcome back, everybody. Nine after the hour and... Let me give you an update on what's going on in the Philippines with their president, Rodrigo Duterte. Right now, UN aid groups, or or, I'm sorry, uh, NGOs, other civil society groups, 300 different groups led by Human Rights Watch and others, have signed a a letter to the... uh, International Narcotics Control Board of the U.N., the part of the organization that handles the uh, drug issue, on condemning the brutal killings that are taking place under President Duterte. He won the election, and during campaigning, he said that he would lead a fight against crime, particularly drug dealers, and drug addicts and vowed that within the first six months of his administration, he would fill Manila Bay with 100, the bodies of 100,000 criminals, that the Bay would be so full of bodies that the fish would grow fat feeding on them. Yeah, this guy campaigned on that and won the election. Now, how how did he manage to win the election? Are Philippines that crazy that a majority of them would support such an obvious, lunatic, sociopathic madman to become their president? No. But in a chilling scenario that ought to give anyone in the United States pause, Rodrigo Duterte won the election with 39% of the vote because those who opposed him could not coalesce on one opponent to defeat him. Now it's an apples to oranges to comparison in that the Philippines is a parliamentary democracy where members of third and fourth and fifth and sixth and seventh parties can gain representation in the parliament. So there is a situation where two of Rodrigo Duarte Duterte's uh, leading opponents were leaders of two other parties So it's not quite the same as what we've got here in the United States. But both of those people that finished second, had their votes been combined, they would have beaten Duterte. So because 39% of the country wanted this madman who pledged to kill 100,000 people, he's president now. On his inauguration day, he told the people of the Philippines, quote, if you know of any addicts, go ahead and kill them yourself as getting their parents to do it would be too painful, end quote. This is a president who on his very first day calls for vigilante executions of drug users. At least 704 people are already dead in the first three months. He has vowed To give pardons, presidential pardons to any of the police or citizens, vigilantes, who are brought up on charges, be they murder or war crimes or anything like that, human rights, he'll pardon them. He has vowed to pardon himself for the same thing and vowed that if the Philippine parliament tries to impeach him, he will just shut down parliament. We have, uh, cases where the cops are finding people in the streets, their bodies wrapped with signs by them that say, I am a pusher killed by vigilantes or cops, people killed by gunmen in, on motorcycles, drive-bys. One woman talks about how her, her husband had been killed. 29 year old man was a pedicab driver doing odd jobs to make a living. And in a most tragic and cruel irony, he even voted for Duterte. He was killed by one of these vigilante groups. This is what you get when you get a violent, psychopathic dictator type running a country who promises to do horrendous things. It leads the country to follow him. It leads the worst elements of that country to follow in his footsteps and to obey his commands. Now in the uh, Philippines, about 89% of the drug seizures are methamphetamine about 9% are cannabis. He's reintroduced the death penalty by hanging He's offering bounties for the bodies of drug dealers. And not only that, this is the kind of guy who, like Donald Trump, can't help his mouth. When uh, he won the election, Duterte launched an attack against the U.N. saying, quote, fuck you, U.N., You can't even solve the Middle East carnage. Couldn't even lift a finger in Africa with the butchering of the black people. Shut up, all of you. End quote. When the UN called them out on these things. That's what's going on in the Philippines right now. And again, the Philippines is the oldest democracy in Southeast Asia. And and Southeast Asia has not been a very friendly place for democracies. So to have this situation going down in the Philippines with the open acceptance of vigilante justice and police executions in the streets that was enabled by a Democratic vote should run chills down the spine of anybody who is currently watching the U.S. election process. Some people will say that this is a this is fear-mongering. Oh, come on now. Trump's not calling for people to go round up people in the streets and kill them, Is he? Isn't he? We've seen numerous uh, reports of violence at Trump's rallies. We've seen him encourage such behavior. Talking about how back in my day, they'd have, left him, they'd have taken him out on a stretcher. We've seen the reports of racists and bigots who beat Muslims or beat suspected Mexican immigrants and talk about how Trump is right. Trump is right. You can call it fear-mongering. You can call it capitulation. You can call it settling for the lesser of two evils. You can give it any label you want to give it, But the sad fact exists that we are staring at the possibility of legitimizing a misogynist, a racist, a xenophobe, an Islamophobe, a bully. We're we're in danger of giving that the highest respect and honor possible in the United States. Now, I know. I get people that will come back and say, yeah, but we're not putting a warmonger. We're not putting a liar. We're not putting a cheater who stole the Democratic primary. We're not. And here's where this gets interesting. <clears throat> because I don't disagree with all of the uh complaints about Hillary Clinton. I don't disagree at all. I think she's untrustworthy. I think she's uh way too prone to lying. I think she's way too uh, enamored of neo-liberal uh, foreign policy. Uh, uh, empire building, American exceptionalism, drone strikes, security in government, lack of transparency, uh, coziness with Wall Street. I'm on board. I wrote all the the pieces, man, I, I made the lists. I do not have any. Illusions about who I am putting into the White House. But in all of those respects, everything I can think of that's bad about Hillary Clinton is just as bad or worse about Donald Trump. Oh, well, Donald Trump doesn't have blood on his hands. He's never ordered a war. He didn't vote for Bush's Iraq war, blah, 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 blah. That's true. You can say all sorts of things about Hillary and Iraq and Libya and Syria and all that. But at no point can you think that Hillary Clinton is clueless, right? You can can say that she's got her own agenda, she's bought and sold, she's owned, whatever it might be. But you can't say she's clueless and erratic, In fact, she is the opposite of erratic. She overthinks some things. She's too beholden to trying to figure out what the polls are going to say and what it does for her political career. That's the opposite of erratic. With Donald Trump, you don't know what we're going to get. And I'm really becoming concerned about these ties he's got with Russian oligarchs and and Putin's government. And no, the fact that the Russians hacked the DNC doesn't take the DNC off the hook for rigging an election. But it does open up the question of: Wait a minute, do we have a foreign government meddling in our electoral process at this point, and is that being suborned by one of the major Democratic or one of the major presidential candidates against his Democratic opponent? Basically, what we saw here and what we're seeing in the in what are now to be more leaks and and break-ins at the DCCC is Watergate-level shit.
3: Is this some kind of bust?
1: Yes, it's very impressive, but we'd just like to ask a few questions.
2: Well, that sound means that it's 420 here in the Pacific time zone. Time for us to take our union mandated safety break. Clouds have come out here in beautiful legal potland, Oregon. Just enjoy this Tuesday. When we come back, consider Attorney General Christie. And drugs are Sabet.
3: Being green is good. Growing green is good. Making green is great. (sighs) CannabisRadio.com. Cash? Sorry. I don't carry around cash, and I don't want to use the ATM and pay surcharges. You don't need
4: to carry cash. Haven't you heard about PayQuick? Okay, tell me about PayQuick. It's the safe and easy way to pay. It works just like your debit card to securely pay for your purchase, and it gives you rewards points every time you use it. Nice. PayQuick, the safe and easy way to pay. P-A-Y-Q-W-I-C-K dot com. Hey, this is Willie Nelson for Normal. and I smoke pot, and I like it a lot. I learned a long time ago that marijuana is a lot safer than alcohol. There's nothing wrong with the responsible use of marijuana by adults. It's time we stopped arresting and started respecting those who smoke marijuana responsibly. To learn what you can do to help, contact Normal at morml.org or call toll-free
1: 888-67-NORMAL. You're listening to Radical Russ on the Russ Belleville Show.
2: With over six years of experience in the industry, New Era CPAs is one of the nation's leading cannabis accounting firms, helping hundreds of growers, dispensaries, and ancillary companies with their tax, legal, and business strategies. New Era CPAs' offices cover the West Coast from Seattle to San Diego, and their skilled team is always available to help you take your business to the next level. Visit NewEraCPAs.com for more info and set up a consultation. Welcome to the New Era.
1: Yarr, be pirates here. Har, 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 har. You're tuned into the Russ Belleville Show, the voice of the marijuana nation. Only on CannabisRadio.com.
2: Welcome back, everybody. 23 after the hour. As we continue to look at the election 2016 from a marijuana consumer's point of view, we find ourselves evaluating the end of the Democratic and Republican conventions that have recently concluded. And Americans have less than 100 days to decide who to vote for to become president. Hillary Clinton, Donald Trump, Gary Johnson, or Jill Stein. And for once, the choice of the marijuana voter is made more difficult by the fact that none of the candidates is supportive of maintaining absolute marijuana prohibition. Trump and Clinton are hovering in that You know, states' rights, laboratories of democracy limbo, where they explicitly say they would allow the legal and medical programs in the states to continue and implicitly mean that they aren't going to open the floodgates on federal legalization anytime soon. Johnson and Stein are much better, uh, offering a vision of ending federal prohibition and enabling further legalization at the state level. They both, however, suffer from the electoral structure of our Constitution that makes their winning the Oval Office less likely than Peter Dinklage winning American Ninja Warrior. Sometimes in these situations, it's just better to figure out who you absolutely don't want to win. And in this particular situation, that person is Donald Trump. While Donald Trump has recently said he's fine with state-level legalization in medical marijuana, he's also recently said, quote, In this race for the White House, I am the law and order candidate, end quote. Sound familiar? Here's another quote. I pledge to you that the new attorney general will open a new front against the filth peddlers and the narcotics peddlers who are corrupting the lives of the children of this country, said the 1968 Republican nominee for president. And to those who say that law and order is the code word for racism, there and here is one reply. Our goal is justice for every American. End quote. And once elected law and order Richard Nixon launched the war on drugs as a method to infiltrate and decimate his enemies on the political left and within the civil rights movement. Trump has also kept by his side the odious governor of New Jersey, Chris Christie. You may remember him on the campaign trail saying, quote, If you're getting high in Colorado today, enjoy it, because as of January 2017, I will enforce the federal laws, end quote. Rumor has it that Trump may select Christie as his attorney general. Christie is also on Trump's transition team that will select the secretaries of various cabinet positions, heads of various departments and bureaus, and judges to fill positions on federal district courts, appeals courts, and at least one vacancy on the Supreme Court. Now, you may recall that back in the 2008 presidential race, Barack Obama said, quote, I would not have the Justice Department prosecuting and raiding medical marijuana users. It's not a good use of our resources, end quote. Yet, it was Barack Obama's Department of Justice that orchestrated more raids against medical marijuana providers than his predecessor, George W. Bush. That's because people at DEA and a few U.S. attorneys' offices still believed in enforcing federal laws. In his second term, Obama shifted to believing, quote, It does not make sense from a prioritization point of view for us to focus on recreational drug users in a state that has already said that under state law, that's legal, end quote. Yet, Assistant U.S. Attorney Earl Hicks prosecuted the Kettle Falls Five, state legal medical marijuana patients growing cannabis in a state where recreational use had been made legal. So that's what we got from the Department of Justice underlings with a president who has actually smoked pot in his lifetime and says the feds should butt out of state marijuana issues. That's what we got with an attorney general's office that has issued memoranda stating that targeting state legal marijuana operations should not be a priority. Imagine what we'd get under a Trump presidency. A guy who doesn't even drink, much less toke. And an Attorney General, Chris Christie, a guy who viscerally loathes pot smokers. Who do you think Christie will suggest for heads of FinCEN and FDIC that will decide cannabis banking regulations, or FDA and NIDA that will handle applications for research on cannabis, or EPA and the Department of Agriculture that will set standards for cannabis pesticides and hemp seed importation? or CDC and NIH that will evaluate the results of legalization on public health, or NHTSA that will make cannabis and driving recommendations, or the U.S. Parole Commission that will decide which decades-long pot prisoners get released. Imagine the new head of the Office of National Drug Control Policy, Drugs Czar Kevin Sabet. Then, wrap your mind around the fact that under President Obama, Republicans in Congress have blocked so many of his judicial nominations that there stands empty 71 seats on the federal district courts, nine seats on the courts of appeals, and of course one seat on the Supreme Court. Then consider that the five to four conservative Supreme Court Trump sets could easily become a seven to two court since three justices will be in their 80s during Trump's first term. That's the court that would hear the ultimate appeals for cases on the religious use of ganja, the medical use of cannabis and whether or not States like Kansas, Nebraska and Oklahoma can overturn Colorado's recreational legalization. So if you're in one of the so-called red or blue States, the States that Trump or Clinton are guaranteed to win, like California for Clinton or Texas for Trump, then maybe you could vote for Johnson or Stein to make a protest vote for someone who supports outright legalization. But if you're in one of the 10 so-called swing states that could go either way and upon which this election will be decided, and those 10 states would be Nevada, Colorado, Iowa, Wisconsin, New Hampshire, Virginia, North Carolina, Florida, Ohio, and Pennsylvania, you should really think long and hard about voting for Hillary Clinton to stop Donald Trump. I can't believe that it's even a question anymore. I've got uh, people that say Gary Johnson's not a protest vote, he could actually win. I I just want to see how that's mapped out. I want to see the realistic way over the next four months. Map it out for me. Show me how that happens. Show me how Gary, because look, if anything, I have proved that I am amenable to reason. I will, I will evaluate your arguments. And if I find new evidence or a new convincing argument, I can change my mind. Because right now, we can't have Donald Trump as a president. And right now, the only viable way I see of defeating Donald Trump is if Hillary Clinton gets more votes than he does. Now, if you can show me how Gary Johnson can win the election, if you can show me that, and that it's, it's a likelihood of it occurring that's a greater likelihood of the path by which Hillary Clinton wins the election. I am all for it. And I would switch my position again, but I tried to make that argument because I wanted to believe that I wanted to make that argument. I researched as hard as I could. I came up with every electoral scenario I could imagine. And it's just not going to happen right now. The first hurdle Gary Johnson has to clear is to get 15% in five national polls to make the debates. Can we concede that he's not going to win the election unless he makes the debates? That he does not have the national recognition, the airtime, or the funding to make anything but the smallest of splashes unless he makes the debates? Because if you can't even concede that, you're not even in the same ballpark of reality to begin this discussion. So let's say, all right, Gary Johnson has to make the debates. Once he gets in the debates, by a miracle, he gets in the debates, he makes the debates, everybody will hear him, they'll think he's so awesome, and they'll all want to vote for him. Well, let's take a look at what hurdle it takes to get in the debates in the first place. Gary Johnson, now, right now, there's a thing called the Presidential Debate Commission. The debates used to be run by the League of Women Voters. And back in the day when the League of Women Voters ran it, it was awesome. They'd have third parties in there. They they were great. More voices, the better. And by the way, as I make this discussion about the debates, understand that I would like to see Gary Johnson in the debates. I'm all for more voices. I think that's great. It just ain't going to happen. Because since 1988, the Presidential Debate Commission which is this corporation run by the Democrats and the Republicans combined, sets the terms for the debates. And one of the terms they set, well, at first they didn't have terms. At first they would decide and just just be the Democrat and the Republican, except in 1992, when the presidential debate commissions allowed Ross Perot to be in the debates. And the only reason that happened is because George W. Bush thought, hey, if we let Perot in the debates, it'll take votes from Clinton. And Clinton thought, hey, if we let... Perot in the debates, it'll take votes away from Bush. So both sides thought they had something to gain from letting Perot in there. And of course, Clinton was right. Perot took more votes from Bush. So we'd need that kind of dynamic. That could be one way to get Gary in the debates, is if the Democrats and the Republicans both believed that if, if Hillary believed, hey, if we get Gary in, it'll take votes from, uh, from Trump. And if Trump believed, hey, if we let Gary in, it'll take votes from Hillary. That's plausible. I'll give you that. This is We're going to play benefit of the doubt like crazy to, on this discussion. I'll give you that. That's a possibility. But since that Perot thing, new rules got established that said that you had to top 15% in five national polls to make the debates. Gary Johnson right now in the Real Clear Politics average is sitting around 73 The more the Jill Stein movement keeps gaining steam, the more of the potential libertarian-leaning liberal votes he could could get go off. So already there's a splitting going on of Gary Johnson's possible support by some of them moving on to Jill Stein. So already he's up against that. But even granting that, he still needs to get 15% in five polls. Now, a lot of these polls don't bother asking They don't bother putting Gary Johnson and Jill Stein's names in. And that's unfair. And they do it to try to protect the Republicans and the Democrats. And tough titty. What are you going to do about it? So already, Gary Johnson faces a massive hurdle in just trying to get to the debates, okay? So let's say he does, though. Gary Johnson gets to the debates, gets to all three of them. And while he's there in all three debates, he has an amazing stellar performance he doesn't come off as goofy or unserious. He has a stellar performance as a stark contrast to Clinton and Trump provides a new third way for people to vote. Let's say let's pretend that happens. Let's again, we're going to play way benefit of the doubt here. OK, so Gary Johnson does great in the in the debates. How do they do from get doing great in the debates to winning 270 electoral votes? Because that's really what the name of the game is here, folks, getting 270 electoral votes. Now, you can get 270 electoral votes from as few as 11 states. If you got the 11 biggest states to vote for you, you could get 270 electoral votes. So if Trump can take what's a 14-point Clinton lead in California and turn that into a win for him, he could I'm sorry, Johnson, if he could get a Clinton lead and turn that into a win for him, could get 55 electoral votes out of California. He would get 38 out of Texas if he could take what's a 20-point Trump lead and turn it into a Johnson win. Okay, So there's two states. Now, repeat that process. Go through the electoral map. Find all the states where Johnson can take... Enough of the vote from both Clinton and Trump to be able to become the winner in that state and do it in enough states that equal 270 electoral votes. That's your homework assignment. Show me how that, write that out for me, send it to me. If you can show me a plausible way that happens, I'll get behind it. Because I tried. Oh God, I tried. I so tried, so tried so hard. The only place I could find where Gary Johnson had even a slim glimmer of hope of getting an electoral vote was Nevada. Uh, And uh, was it Nevada? No, Utah. I'm sorry. Utah was Utah. Slim glimmer of hope. Because there he's polling in a statistical tie with Clinton, Trump and well, Clinton and Trump in one poll. He was third place still. But he was within striking distance. And Utah is the kind of place with its 70% Mormon population where you could understand why they'd be reticent to vote for Donald Trump and why they could never vote for Hillary Clinton and why then they might be tempted to vote for a Gary Johnson. One state, six electoral votes. That's the one I could find. I started thinking as I was doing this, trying to build this argument, well, let's look at some of the uh, libertarian leaning kind of states like Idaho. Idaho. Like my home state, Idaho is very libertarian. And then I go there and find it's like the most, one of the most solid Trump states there, there are. So we've got to have this belief that Johnson could attract enough Republican voters in a place like Idaho to tip it from Trump to him. Now, you could make the case that Donald Trump is such a lousy candidate and so prone to gaffes that over the next four months he uh, is such a shitbag. And Gary Johnson did so stellar in three debates that maybe a lot of Republicans would jump ship. Maybe some, if some of the Republican leadership starts uh, heeding President Obama's advice and rescinding their uh, 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 endorsements of Donald Trump. Maybe there's a groundswell within Republicans of, of making the switch, but you still have to do that in enough States to get 270 electoral votes. Even with mainstream, well-known party funded Republicans in 2008 and 2012 in John McCain, a war hero and Mitt Romney, a billionaire, even in that, a, a successful billionaire, we should say, who doesn't rip people off. Even in those elections, those guys couldn't amass 270 electoral votes with all of the resources at the Republican Party's disposal. And we're supposed to ex- expect that Gary Johnson's going to go to three debates and speak so well, so well that he's going to flip enough Republican states to get the votes, to get the. Electoral votes that the last Republican candidate got, and flip enough of the Democratic states too to get that 270. That's going to magically happen. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm going to talk a little bit about that when we come back from break. Because as I got to, this is what really tipped me in making my change and making my thought process change was how could I defend voting for I-502 in Washington State but not vote for Hillary Clinton in the the election? I began to see how my thinking was becoming way too magical. So when we come back, I'm going to outlaw, or outlaw, outline. (laughs) I'm going to outline the seven different... Flaws of magical thinking between true legalizers and true progressives.
1: This is the Russ Bellville Show on CannabisRadio.com. Cannabis use isn't the only thing growing, so are we. Grow with us, CannabisRadio.com.
0: Orange Hill. Contact Orange Hill for a consultation today at OrangeHillDevelopment.com mention the Stoner Jesus Show podcast on CannabisRadio.com And don't try to debate me on something Motherfucker, I can't do many things well But words are my shit. The Stoner Jesus
3: Show, live Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific. Or find the Stoner Jesus Show podcast on demand at CannabisRadio.com and StonerJesus.net.
1: Peace, bitches. You're not high. You're listening to the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com.
0: I beat China all the
2: time. Okay, maybe you're high, too. Get.buzz.buzz .buzz. is the internet platform that fuels community interest, excitement, and new experiences. .buzz is the premier online destination for internet users seeking the latest news on a variety of topics. .buzz appeals to groups active in blogging, communications, journalism, advertising, and marketing. .buzz offers registrants a stronger alternative to the shrinking namespace of existing top-level domain names, such as .com, .net, and .org. Get your name now at Get.buzz.
1: Hello, Mr. Man. Hi. I'm doing, I'm, I'm working. I'm sorry. No food. No, this, is done. this is the Ross Bellville Show on CannabisRadio.com.
2: Welcome back, everybody. Sorry for the delay. Had to get a couple of things typed up there. So uh, I want to close this uh, this, uh, part of the show with uh, my observations on the similar lines of magical thinking that we're finding uh, as we continue this election. Because, first of all, Hillary Clinton does have a purity problem. She had the primary battle with Bernie Sanders, and it awoke a significant segment of the progressive voters who are usually turned off by the party politics. Bernie Sanders identified a rigged system, a system rigged against the common people, and identified Hillary Clinton as the master beneficiary of that rigged system. When the WikiLeaks release of DNC emails confirmed the suspicions of Sanders supporters that the system was indeed rigged, some of those progressive voters declared that enough was enough and they are refusing to vote for Hillary Clinton in the general election. Now, according to the latest CNN poll, when given a heads up choice between Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump, about 90% of Sanders supporters choose Hillary Clinton. But when that polling is expanded to include the third party candidates like Jill Stein and Gary Johnson, Hillary Clinton loses about another 20% of those supporters. So how could someone who espouses the progressive ideals Bernie Sanders' campaign was built upon cast their vote in such a way to enable Donald Trump to win the White House? Why would these true progressives usher in at least four years of pushing the country away from the achievement of progressive goals? Now, if you're flummoxed by this phenomenon, you're not alone. I was in that true progressive camp from February through June. I was mad as hell that Debbie Wasserman Schultz was rigging the primary process in favor of Hillary Clinton. I was convinced that the only right thing to do was to punish the DNC and Hillary Clinton by not rewarding her and them with my vote. I would not sign on to such chicanery, shenanigans, subterfuge, sabotage, and just plain evil. And then I realized I was engaged in the same kind of magical thinking that I get in the fight to legalize marijuana. For the past 10 years, I've been reporting on the states that propose and pass medical marijuana and recreational legalization initiatives and laws. In every election since 2010, there have been one or more states in which at least two campaigns emerged to legalize marijuana. One campaign usually emerges that is backed by the National Marijuana Reform Organizations, funded by billionaires, and proposes legalization in a moderate, carefully controlled manner. These measures hire professional signature gatherers and campaign staff, they make the ballot, and most of them win. You could call these establishment legalizers. The other campaigns that emerge are backed by local grassroots activists, Desperately scrambling to raise funds, proposing legalization in a more radical, wide-open manner. These measures rely on volunteer signature gatherers and amateur campaigns. They rarely make the ballot, and they never win. You could call these ones the true legalizers. After they fail to place their initiative on the ballot, the true legalizers then find unacceptable faults in the initiative that the establishment legalizers successfully place on the ballot. Despite the fact that the establishment legalizers are proposing something that moves the state away from total marijuana prohibition, true legalizers fight against it because it's just not good enough, helping the opponents of legalization in their efforts to defeat the initiative. This happened in 2010 in California when supporters of a failed true legalization initiative fought against Prop 19, the establishment legalization. In Washington in 2012, there was a very visible no on I-502 campaign, with many supporters of a more progressive failed initiative backing it. Now in 2016, proponents of failed measures in California, Arizona, and Massachusetts are rebelling against the legalization initiatives there. What is it that makes true legalizers and true progressives fight against their own self-interest? Well, here are some of the magical thinking arguments that are similar between the true legalizers and the true progressives. The first ones I call if-onlys. If-only, if-only... These are the forecasts that are predicated on scenarios that ignore mathematical probability and historical precedent. From true legalizers, it comes in the form of, well, if only all our Facebook followers and our volunteer signature gatherers collected and turned in 10 signature sheets each, we'd easily make the ballot. In the form of true progressives, it's, if only everybody who hates Clinton and Trump votes third party. That third party would win the election, if only. Another magical thought is the magic bullets. These are the beliefs that a single transformative moment changes everything completely. We don't need to pay attention to the past or history or, or math or anything like that, because this is completely different. And there'll be this fantastic thing that happens that changes everything with true legalizers, it comes in the form of, well, when the people finally read our true legalization, they'll see that it's superior and they'll reject the establishment legalization. From the true progressives, it's the form of, well, when they, when they finally see the third party in the debates, they'll see that they're superior and everybody will reject the establishment candidates. Then there are the pies in the sky. These are the arguments that are long on lofty and grandiose ideals, but short on the concrete details that form an actual plan. From true legalizers, it comes in the form of, well, once we make the ballot, enough donations will then flow in that we can advertise for our campaign. The true progressives, they're the ones that'll say, well, once once the third party makes the debates, enough states will flip that they'll get 270 electoral votes it'll it'll just happen then there's the ones that say well it'll be better next time why rush it'll be better next time this is the willingness to not stop bad things now because there's a better solution around the corner from the true legalizers it's well we've got to defeat california's prop 64 you know let prohibition continue And in 2018, then we'll get true legalization on the ballot. From the true progressives, it's, well, you know, we might have to suffer for four years of Donald Trump, you know, reverse progressive momentum. But then in 2020, the Democrats will learn their lesson and we'll put a true progressive in the Oval Office. It'll be better next time. Ah, Then there are the purity paladins. These are the people who show adherence to one or more ideological principles, And ignore the overall greater good being proposed. From the true legalizers, it's, well, I could never vote for Washington's I-502 because it's a per se DUID and no home grow. Even though it does legalize marijuana in pot shops. From true progressives, it's, well, I could never vote for for Hillary Clinton because she's a liar and a warmonger. Even though she is progressive on domestic issues. Then you got the anarchic types, the fuck the system people. Then you got the fuck the system people. This is the visceral hatred of the corrupt insider run pay to play process and the desire to punish it and send it a message. From the true legalizers, this is well, we'll show that California billionaire, Sean Parker. We'll show him what happens to his legalization plan when he ignores the grassroots. From the true progressives, it's more like, well, we'll show that Hillary Clinton what happens when she and the DNC rig the primaries. We'll show her. And then there's the famous I gots mine. This is the one where you argue from a position of privilege that insulates you from the worst outcomes of defeating the greater good that's proposed. From the true legalizers, it's the one that, well, Californians who don't want possession tickets and grow felonies should just get a medical marijuana card like me. And they should have supported true legalization that we all would have voted for. From the true progressives, it's more like, well, blacks, gays, women, Muslims, and immigrants who don't want to bigot in the White House should just ride out the next four years like me. And they shouldn't have supported the true progress. They should have supported the true progressive. We could have all gotten behind. Then there's the uh, cartoon villain thinking. Cartoon villain thinking is when the opponent is evil and, and full of terrible agenda. You know, from the, from the true legalizers, it's, uh, well, Richard Lee or Sean Parker or whoever. They, obviously, they're putting this legalization together just to benefit themselves. It's all bought off. It's all corrupt in the inside. It's all, they didn't count on us. And they're just doing it to enrich themselves. And of course, on the true progressive side, it's Hillary Clinton is evil and a liar and she's a killer and she's mass murdered people and gotten away with it and stolen and rigged an election and gotten away with it. And somehow she's done all these nefarious things over 25 years and gotten away with every single one of them after massive multi-million dollar investigations. Cartoon villain. And cartoon villain is kind of in the same ballpark as the conspiracy theory. The conspiracy theory one, where this is all rigged from the beginning. Nobody had any input on it. From the uh, true legalizers, this is the well—they never asked us. They never took input from the from the public. It was all closed and secret. And they made deals with the with the politicians. And they they're giving money to law enforcement. And they're they're doing all these terrible things to try to find ways to bust pot smokers more and to corral the market for for the big marijuana companies. And for the true progressive side, it's, well, it's all controlled by Wall Street and the 1%, and they're all p- putting just two candidates in front of us, and they purposefully picked uh, Donald Trump so that we'd have to vote for Hillary Clinton because she's so awful. They purposefully did that. They purposefully somehow made 13 million Republicans choose that guy. Yeah, it was all the Democrats. They figured out how to get 13 million Republicans to vote a certain way in a primary. So, folks, I've never in my life had the opportunity to vote for a presidential candidate or a marijuana legalization initiative that was fully up to my standards. Never. I've never had the choice of a perfect candidate. But reality dictates that when you're in the voting booth, you can get you can vote to get some of what you want. Or you can vote to get a lot of what you don't want. Complaining about rigged systems and choices of lesser of two evils is pointless. After the vote, either legalization wins and Hillary Clinton is president, or prohibition wins and Donald Trump is president. Either you choose to move the country incrementally forward on the case of progressivism and marijuana legalization, Or you choose to move the country backward. Your magical thinking might soothe your conscience but it doesn't alter reality. Alright folks, that's all the time we got in hour two here. Thanks for joining us. We'll be back tomorrow with more news interviews you can use for the cannabis community. For everyone here at CannabisRadio.com thanks for joining us and remember this weekend we'll be here in Portland, Oregon at the Expo Center. For the Indo Expo, one of the largest events of the year, we'll be streaming live and bringing you highlights from our huge lounge booth. I'm Radical Russ. Thanks for joining us. And until next time, take care of each other, Topers.
1: This is the Russ Bellville Show. The Russ Bellville Show is blogging and podcasting daily at RadicalRuss.com.
4: You grow it, you dry it, you roll it, you smoke it. You take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you dry it, you roll it, you smoke it. You take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you dry it, you roll it, you smoke it, and it goes down smooth.